My work was songwriting and playing. And then it became writing and playing songs and making websites for people who wrote and played songs. And then it became making websites for people who ran businesses. So then it became really helping them with their digital marketing. And then somewhere in the, in the process, I studied meditation. been studying meditation for 20 years, and so now I'm teaching meditation. Then 10 years ago, I started the process of thinking about writing a novel, which turned into writing a novel and now writing the second novel. Welcome to Unique Careers, Unique Lives. This is a show, and I'm on a quest. A quest to find how people get unstuck and create unique careers, unique lives. Every week, I interview a guest to find their answer. Will you join me? Let's begin. In this episode, my guest is Jim Infantino. Jim is a musician, a business owner, a writer, a meditation teacher. I met him in writing in community and was curious about his story of doing it all. I hope you will enjoy our conversation and talk to you in the end. Thank you very much, Jim, for accepting my invitation. Pleasure. I I'm really curious about how you made the transition, first of all, because the first time we had or I got to know you or about you was through your generous message or comment under my uh, daily in writing in community. Mm-hmm. And I guess I wrote about uh, how you try to create PowerPoint presentations just to enable other people to keep their ego and how there is no sense, no meaning in the work you're doing. And I remember you saying, I left that shit, <laughs> shit if I might say. <laughs> Your podcast. <laughs> it's my podcast. I can say it. <laughs> okay, I will say it um, proudly. I left that shit and created my own thing, and I never looked back. You didn't use these words, but that was the vibe I was getting from what you wrote. So if you would like to start from there, or if you feel somewhere sure. else is more meaningful to you, what was happening back then? I studied philosophy in, in college. I got a, a love of acting and music in high school. These were the things that I, I did really that really made me happy. I stopped acting after I met a very famous playwright and found out that he was just a really miserable human being. And that I, I suddenly felt very uncomfortable letting him put words in my mouth um, for some reason. I think if I had pursued acting beyond that, I could have pushed through that barrier and, and then continued with it, you know, and maybe gone on to try to be a character actor somewhere, um, which I think would have been a life that I would have loved. But I didn't. I instead decided I wanted to write my own words, put them in my own mouth, so I started writing songs. And um, I at the time, couldn't make a living playing songs. I started playing uh, on the street and in the subways when I got to Boston. There wasn't, I was living in Philadelphia first. There wasn't much of a scene for that. It was a little bit, a little bit too hard. The, the music scene was, was in a 
very different direction. I didn't really belong. I was sort of more in the singer-songwriter folk tradition. I came to visit Boston, and they were all over the place, these singer-songwriters, playing in the subways on the street, or the T, as we call it. Uh, and I moved up here and started doing that, and I haven't left. So in order to get by, I found uh, that the songs that I was playing, which were all based in the philosophy that I studied, um, weren't really appealing to the masses. And uh, my, my, my guitar case would end up pretty empty at the end of the day. I mean, I made a little bit, and I actually lived on it for a little while, but then I realized I needed to get a day job and then try and go out and play clubs uh, if I was going to not starve. So I, I got a job waiting tables, which I was, I think I may have been the very worst waiter in the history of the profession. Um, the owner of the restaurant would follow me around to make sure I didn't mess things up. Uh, so I have a lot of respect for people who wait tables. I can't believe the amount of memory, the amount of brain power it takes to get everything right. Um, especially if you have a waiter that comes up and doesn't write anything down. I mean, which any good one doesn't, right? They come to your table, they remember everything, where it all goes, who wanted what, and all of the particulars that you asked about it. They go back, they express it to the chef. They put together the salads. They, you know, it's amazing, actually. It's an incredible thing. They're way underpaid. It's a terrible injustice. So I stopped waiting tables, and then I went, I started doing temp work because I had uh, lied about my skills uh, to a temp agency to just get a gig and said I could use, like I could do design on Macintosh. But this was really when Macintosh was like a little brick that sat on your desk and had almost no screen at all and was in black and white. So it wasn't that hard to learn. And so I learned enough to know more than most of the people in these offices at the time when nobody used computers. And that got me a bunch of temp work with a company called Mac Temps that just specialized in, you know, bringing nerds in to like work on your, your, the three Macintoshes you had in the company. There were no laptops. I did that work. That I, I got a lot of, the, I got as much of that work as I needed, but I, the trick was to turn down enough so that I had enough time to like go around to open mics and try to get gigs. And I was starting, I was starting to get gigs. I was hanging out with really great musicians. Um, the Boston scene was just amazing at the time. I'm very lucky to have been there. So in terms of that, absolutely no regrets that I was able to really be part of that scene back then, uh, you know, when the Pixies were just coming up and um, Chris Ballou was coming out of Boston, who was going to form a band called the Presidency of the United States of America. Uh, eventually, uh, Dar Williams was here. Tracy Chapman had already been on the street and had kind of left. A lot of great songwriters came out of here. Katie Curtis and all of them friends. Finally got a more permanent gig with a company, I don't want to say the name of, but it was run by someone who was really, truly insane. And I mean, someone who is still in the news today in the Boston area for swindling and embezzling. He was running a company that was for, at the forefront of the internet. They were, they were, but it was kind of like snake oil too. They were, it was a combination of, of scam and real visionary stuff. It was a very strange company. I think all the people who worked for him, you know, they came out of MIT, they're very smart and they, um, and they could see what was going to happen with email and the web before it did happen. I unfortunately didn't pay any attention to that. 
I was just there to get, you know, collect my check and do the, you know, put together the presentations. But I also became very aware that it was run by a very um, damaged individual. And again, that same control mechanism went off in me that said, be careful not to let someone else put words in your mouth. And in this case, it was my boss, right? So I was, I was becoming kind of a way for him to speak his, what seemed to me just absurdism. And it was kind of a swindle. It was kind of a scam. There was, there was something very scammy about what was going on. It was just looking to borrow more and more money and find ways to re-leverage it. And it, it, felt, it, felt, it felt dirty to me. Now, I could have been totally wrong at the time. It may have been completely on the up and up, but I have a feeling that it wasn't. I went on the road with, um, with my friend Dar Williams and we toured around the country. Um, and when I came back, they, I, they had said, yeah, you can go and take a vacation and come back and we'll still want you. I came back, they didn't, they didn't want me. I was out of a job. That's what ultimately got me started thinking about, even on a temporary basis, I don't know that I can really rely on these companies. It's much more secure to have a company to provide you a regular check. I mean, if you want security, if you really care about money, you know, and it, and it coming in in a regular way, in a way you can plan, you can save and invest, get a regular job, you know, like working for someone, try to look the other way when they marry their secretary, you know, try to just, you know, do it because that's, that's, that's the trade-off. For me, I just couldn't. Um, I got like, I got sick. Like I, I, my health declined. I, I was always, was off the doctor all the time. Um, so I was in a great deal of distress because of this sense of not being able to have a boss. I think I'm just wired differently. I have to be expressing myself and putting my own words in my mouth. And I don't mind doing it for clients, but I do mind doing it for one kind of monarch at a company. I realized I was in order to survive, even even temp work wasn't going to work for me. And I was going to have to start my own business if I wanted to make money. And if I couldn't make a living playing music, which is what I really, really love. First of all, I am at awe by hearing that you prioritize music. So it was very obvious. And that was your guide and everything else fits in between. To me, that sounds like it. The second thing is you applied for a temp position for which you didn't have the skills, but you developed the skills before you had the job. So that's for me. <laughs> Who does well, that? I at mean. the time, nobody really. I mean, I, I had used a Mac. I had used a computer. I, it, I think I had played a little bit on a Mac. Nobody could check back then. Nobody knew. You know, the people who were, I think it was an insurance agency or a financial institution. And people would just come by and see that I had like words on the screen and assume I was doing my job, you know? And then, and so I was able to kind of play around with it and and figure out how it worked. And it was very simple back then. So I I came in at the very start of that technology. And then I also came in at the start of the internet. So um, when I, my friend Don said, you need to start designing in something called HTML. I said, well, is that a program? And he said, no, it's like, you just, type things in text and then it shows up in a browser. And I said, whoa, that sounds horrible, you know? And then I started doing it and I, and I, and I fell in love with it. And then I started just playing with it and seeing what the, the limits of it were. 
And I also, then I discovered this great program called Flash, which isn't really around anymore. And I did a lot of animations uh, in Flash. I did an animation, an animated website for my band, which won an award. And then I got a lot of requests from other bands and musicians to have me make their website. And then, and back then there was no WordPress, there was no Squarespace. And I did not want to be updating their gigs all the time. Musicians have very little money and a very high need for a very high functioning website. They need video, they need audio, they need calendars that are up to the minute. You know, cancellations need to go in immediately. This was all new stuff and there was no way to edit things on the web at the time unless you knew how to type the HTML code in. So I started building, I taught myself how to program and then I started building a a content management system which became Slab and that became Slab Media, which is my company. So this is the transition from uh, working in a company to creating your own business. Yes. It was just driven by the need. And I would say to anyone who wants to start a company, can't can't handle the monarch in the office, Um, could be a queen or king. But if you're like me and you have to work for yourself, right, because it just doesn't, because you will literally get sick and die if you don't then um, think about what, think about the need. I think all good businesses start from a position of compassion. You, you can feel what other people want and need, more need than want. Where, what do they lack and how can you provide it? And if you're thinking that way, rather than what do they have and how can they give it to me, you're probably going to work. It's probably going to work out. Back then, I was tracing it back to a certain confidence you had in your skills where you didn't know how to design or how to use the Mac, but you taught yourself. Uh, and I feel there's a certain, you don't start from a negative. That, that's my feeling. You start with a mindset of possibility. And also in this case of the HTML uh, design and learning, it was also like you first thought it's, it's not uh, sounds terrible, but then you allow yourself to experiment and you get by and then you realize you enjoy it. So from what you say, I felt a sense that you have this, um, you know, like a experimentation spirit uh, to your work. I don't know if I'm correct. Yeah, it's adventure, that. I think. And maybe that came from mm-hmm. overcoming fear of getting in a car and driving to a strange place and standing up in front of people and playing music. I mean, maybe it came from the, the repetitive exercise of being, you know, not literally naked on stage, but really emotionally naked on stage. Not that sort of performer. Um, but because, and this I maybe learned from acting, when you get on stage, if you try to hide up there, the audience will hate you, right? But if you, if you, Look at anything you might be hiding and then expose it. Just be 100% there for people that love you. So to be a great kind of performing artist, I think of any kind, you need to learn this courage of emotional undressing, you know, taking off those metaphorical pieces of armor completely before you go on stage. If you want to be successful, you can't hold anything back. So I think doing that over and over gave me some courage to try new things because 
why not? And also when you do that, you realize how frightened everyone is. And people in the audience like it because they're, they're scared. They want to be able to do that, but they can't because they're not practicing. They're not, they're not, they don't have to, so they don't. But they admire people who do. So that gave me a sense, oh, nobody really knows anything. I might as well try and learn it myself. There's no reason to think I can't, right? And this is, this is a wrong attitude to have when you're thinking about like practicing medicine, but it is the right attitude to have in certain places. Yeah, thank God we don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> While you were talking about this, um, find what you are hiding behind and then mm-hmm. expose it, I immediately thought of the name of your band. Right. <laughs> you know, Jim's that's right. Big yeah, Ego, that's, is it? That's the name. Yeah. So that, that was like you are calling us your ego. <laughs> Was that uh, the name? Yes, choice I mean yes, yes, because I want. I so I was I was a solo singer songwriter, right? Busker playing, driving around alone in my in my spray painted yellow VW Rabbit uh, around the country, and then I realized I had some problems with kind of the genre I ended up in in folk music. I came from um, from downtown Manhattan and an urban environment. Um, it was very. It was pretty integrated. I mean, still segregated New York City, but I was used to meeting lots of people from lots of cultures all the time. And I felt that I was in a monoculture in folk music, in American folk music. And I didn't know why, because it seemed to me that American folk music should include, like, it was called rap back then, but hip hop now. That's American folk music. If you take away all the technology and just, um, just hear the poetry of it, it's American folk music. So why isn't it included in folk clubs? So I realized to kind of, to start playing in places where I could see kind of a broader expanse of culture, I needed to form a band. And so I started, I started a band. uh, Well, I thought about starting a band. And when I thought about it, I was like, gosh, so I'm asking people to play who are better musicians than I am to play behind me while I stand in front and say my words and sing them. This is the most, it's just so egotistical. And that's where I, that's where I thought, well, okay. So then, yeah, it's Jim's big ego. Then that's what I'm doing. <laughs> that's so cool. Are you giving words to other people's mouth? Um, well, partnerships, I think work really well when you're working with somebody. I mean, the band and I, uh, the band in its current form, we've been together 10 years and, um, we write music together, it comes out great. And I don't mind that at all. I, I love working with people. I just can't work for people. Okay, it's not a big ego then, Tim. There we go. <laughs> well, let's call it that. <laughs> okay, so you had transitioned from working for other people to doing your own business, noticing a need in the musician I was going to say market, but how should I call it? Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how did you make it into a profitable business? How did business plus uh, doing it for the benefit of others mix together? Yeah. Well, it's a, it, it is, it's tricky. And um, it's, I'm, I was uniquely bad at looking at the numbers but once you look at the numbers, 
you can't look away, you know, you hopefully won't look away. Um, just like I didn't think I could become a programmer, I didn't think I could really pay attention to the numbers of, in my business, but the numbers are everything. I mean, there is what you are providing to people and there needs to be a generous spirit there. But that's generous spirit should end there because if you want it to work, you have to look at the numbers. How much money are you spending? How much money are you making? Um, and then all the little bits in between, you know, how much are you paying in taxes? So um, what are you, how are you formed? Are you, are you a sole proprietorship LLC or are you a partnership or, you know, um, and how does that affect the taxes that you pay? Are you paying yourself a salary? Are you just taking what's left over? All oh, that's fine, but you have to look at that, then look at the numbers and see how that shakes out in terms of what it takes to live. And don't underestimate what it takes to live because I lived hand to mouth on the road, you know, sleeping on couches for a while, like a hobo. I had no problem with it. I was perfectly happy. I was very happy doing that. So my idea of like what I need was way down there, but that's life on the road as a musician, maybe a short life on the road as a musician, short, happy life. That's not the life of running a business with an office that you come to every day with children at home that are in school that need clothes that are going to go to school, you know, college later on. That's not a, you know, there was not a road of like medical insurance, you know, and like all kinds of, all kinds of things. So when you're deciding you're going to start a business, and I never really decided to start a business. It's just sort of grew around me and I had to figure out, Oh, okay, well, I'm thinking about money all wrong. And I'm thinking about my, my business all wrong. I'm thinking about profitability all wrong. I wish I had studied economics. I'm not sure if that would have helped. You know, maybe I needed a business degree. And then I thought, well, no, I could probably learn this. So um, that's actually been maybe the hardest thing I've had to learn is how to track and look at the numbers, not just give it to an accountant, right? I think it's the biggest mistake that uh, business owners make is they give all that work to an accountant because they don't have time. They don't want it in their head. But if it's not in your head, when you talk to a client and you negotiate a price, you're going to make the wrong decision because you won't know, right? What are, what are my actual costs when I build this website? How long does it actually take, right? What are my ongoing costs? What are, what's my ongoing income? What's my recurring income, right? And, and what is my time worth given my overhead? These calculations have to be done and then they need to be redone every year. So that as a creative type was maybe the hardest lesson. Um, and I'm going to continue learning it. We're doing better and better since we've been watching the numbers. Yeah. I was, I was wondering how was the process for you to learn? Um, I, I assume that being the creative type doing the business in the business way should be really a learning process. How long did it take you to, to tell that? Yeah, now, now I get that. <laughs> well, like 10 years, you know, but that's, that's me. It doesn't have to be every business owner. That's my weakest point is relating to money. I think a lot of us have trouble relating to money, but I think artists and musicians, no, you don't have? I have that. You do. No, I was showing I have a big problem. <laughs> I, I frankly think it's an ancient technology and we should find a new one. 
um, and and maybe I should build it. You know, I mean, no, I mean, or somebody should. It. Why are we? I don't think. I don't think we hold on to anything that long uh, that doesn't really make people happy. So I'm, I bet there's a better. You know, I bet there's a w- better way to value things than a unitary uh, currency. I bet, you know, somebody could disrupt money if they really put their mind to it. There would be no money in it. So that seems to motivate everything we do. And so it probably won't happen, but it's ripe for disruption. I've always thought of my life as in terms of time. And, oh, there's, there is something called a time bank. Somebody has invented like a currency of time, which is kind of beautiful. I don't know if it works, but um, I've never thought of like my desire is for time, not money as I have more responsibilities, I have to pay attention to money. So it's really been late in my process that I've been paying much more attention to money and less attention. I mean, time is still important, but it's not what I value over everything else. Time gave me space to write uh, a new song. Um, And now time is, back then time was expansive my time in the cafe would be as long as I would sit there. Now my time in the cafe is between 9.15 and 10.05. And then I have a meeting. <laughs> so it's, t- it's, it's completely different. I've chopped it all up. I'm, r- I'm writing my second novel. And you know, because we're both in writing a community. And I, you know, I, that's, I find it really interesting. That was what appealed to me, the idea, oh, I could just set aside 15 minutes. I can, I can schedule 15 minutes. Now it's gone from like, I'm going to spend the morning in the cafe to I've got 15 minutes to write my novel today. And, and that's, that's just how it is. So do you have transitioned uh, from working for someone else to doing your own business. And I heard you saying it was still for you important to have your time to write and we know that you are a musician. So tell me what are the things, all the things that you are um, doing in your life that you also can call, this is my work. Yeah, that's a really interesting, I mean, maybe that's a really interesting thing to think about is what is my work? What is my work? So my work, um, my work was songwriting and playing, playing songs, writing them and playing them. Um, and then it became writing and playing songs and making websites for people who wrote and played songs. And then it became making websites for people who ran businesses. So then it became really helping them with their digital marketing. And then I, somewhere in the, in the process, I studied meditation. Um, for, I've been studying meditation for 20 years, and so now I'm teaching meditation. Um, and I'm teaching it online, uh, remotely, which is interesting. And uh, then uh, 10 years ago, I started the process of thinking about writing a novel, which turned into writing a novel and now writing the second novel. And I'm a father of uh, two beautiful girls. And um, uh, I don't have a lot of time for much, for much else, but I mean, maybe I do. I don't know. I, haven't, I might learn something new. Oh, that's a great uh, group of things that you are doing. <laughs> And I noticed you gave yourself a space to think, what do I call work? Uh, I want to hear your definition of what you call work. I was, I was wondering what, what, 
we we'll call my work. Like, what is my work? I guess that's something that somebody might ask themselves. What is my work? What, what am I doing with my time? Um, because if you spend 10 hours a day doing something, that's, that, that's what you're doing. But they might mean something to you. You might, you might be doing something you're not really that fond of, but what you're doing is raising a family or supporting a, a, a life at night, you know, um, as, a, as a famous drag queen, you know, at a, at, a, at a local bar. I mean, you could, you might be bringing joy into people. That might be your work, might be bringing joy into people's lives, but you are doing that purely out of love and you're not doing it to make money and you need to make money in this world. So you're doing something else. What is my work? What is my, what is my purpose? What can I offer people? I would say maybe define it as what can I offer people? You connected it back to what can I bring from myself to others? Even if I might not enjoy the process, maybe it's for work or so for money, uh, but at the end that enables me to do the other thing. So in the end, it seems like it's really the, in the service of all beings, <laughs> others that you care about. Yeah, well, that, I mean, right. And that does tie into the practice of meditation, which is, has a generous spirit, right? And is, it has a soft heart. Um, but also recognition. I mean, I don't think I would have even thought, of, thought this way if I didn't have some sense that accumulating stuff, better and better stuff, is ultimately really unsatisfactory. You know, that a car is a vehicle that gets you from place to place. It's not the love of, it's not the love of your life. It's not joy. That's just marketing. We've just fallen for marketing in that, you know, like, don't be a sucker. Don't, don't go after things. Things are just dead. Figure out what you want to do. A yacht. Owning a yacht? Okay. Sounds like a pain, Right. Why don't you just like, if you have a lot of money, go and like get on someone else's yacht for a while, rent it, and then let it go. Why own things? They're, they're annoying. If you have access to things, awesome. That's a good thing. That would be a good, you know, I want to make more money to have more access. But to ha- own things? Really? You have to take care of them. Th- that said, I'm a homeowner. Yeah. So, you know, whatever. It seemed like it was a better idea. (laughs) (laughs) I don't pay rent. I think rent is terrible. I don't pay. I know it's terrible. (laughs) Okay, so looking back at the journey of work that you have done, what have you learned? What seems to be the interesting points that looking back like wow (laughs) that was something for me all right so on one level i'm very proud of having had the life of the troubadour um maybe the most flattering thing that i've experienced was going to see an off-broadway music music performance by by this man james naughton and his band where he played songs by Hoagy Carmichael 
and a lot of classics, just really um, famous, famous songs. And he sang them as a crooner with a kind of a jazz backup. And at the end of the night, he sang my song to close. And he mentioned me by name in relation to these extremely famous American songwriters. And it was very moving. It was very, it was overwhelming. It was impossible to squeeze the juice out of that moment because there was just too much. Um, and then that moment was gone and the show closed and, you know, but for a moment that was really, it made me think about my place among the songwriters of this country. Beautiful. I'm so, so touched by you having experienced this. And um, for me, what is really important that I hear from you is you always stayed true to what mattered to you. So the music was an important it was a priority and the work of designing websites or marketing was also important, but you didn't give up music while you go into that. And it seems like music is also, it seems it's a self-expression being an artist and that also comes with writing for you. So that also found its place. Somehow it feels that you enabled yourself to have the spaces to blossom like a I don't know like a tree when it has space it grows in a bigger direction like makes makes itself bigger that feels like this has been your journey or you enabled yourself to experience this well and also maybe we shouldn't put too much emphasis on enabling myself because um I mean I grew up in a privileged position in this country right I have um, I have the right color skin. I'm a male. Um, I'm not exceedingly tall or athletic, but I have all these other advantages. I had parents who weren't abusive. Um, they were abused as kids, and I had to deal with the awareness that my parents were abused by their parents, kind of a subconscious awareness, which I think, I think is traumatic in some ways, is not really recognized, but it's not the same as having that sort of bad situation growing up. So I had a lot of advantages. I didn't grow up wealthy, but I grew up in Manhattan and I went to private school, you know. Um, I, I had a lot of advantages. And I don't think it's impossible for other people to, you know, find the courage even after and maybe because of bad situations. But part of it, maybe the beginning of it, is recognizing that other people are afraid. The general state of humanity is fear. And in most areas, especially new areas, most people don't know more than you. Meaning they don't know that much more than you that you couldn't learn yourself. Um, Again, this does not apply to the sciences or the law. But if you're going to think creatively... You need to think outside of what has been written already and not get caught up in whether it has been written or not. Just figure out what it is you want to say and do and start doing it. Because that's how you write a song. You have to give yourself permission to write a chorus 
you have a, a tune in your head, you have a phrase in your head and it won't stop repeating. And then, so you, you kind of put it down on an instrument and then you think about what comes next and you give yourself permission, make things up and writing novels. Oh my gosh. That even more freedom. I would sit sometimes when I first started writing the novel and, and just feel so like uh, happy that I, you know, I can just make up anything here. I can type anything. I can make up anything and type it and no one will stop me <laughs> because nobody cares. And ultimately nobody cares. So you might as well go and do what it is you want to do. Oh, it's such a freedom, expression of freedom. I love it. I love it. So now what are you looking forward to? What, what's up? What's up? <laughs> what's, what are you doing that is exciting that you're looking forward to? Well, um, I haven't recorded an album in a long time and I am looking forward again after whenever COVID gets safe enough, if it ever gets safe enough, I want to be able to play music with my band again. We haven't been able to sit in the same room together and play music and it, and it, they're my buddies and I, I miss them a lot. I have some new songs um, and I want to record them in the studio. I just want to go back and record some of the songs that now that I've been writing narrative, I want to go back and look at all the songs that I wrote that were narrative songs and put them all on a single album. Might be, who knows what an album is anymore, but like a collection of digital music that's maybe 30 songs, but just record them with just me and the guitar uh, in, a, in a quiet studio someplace safe from the virus. Um, and I want to get my audio book done for, for the, my first novel. I want to finish my second novel, get it edited, um, publicize it a little bit more this time because it's the second in a, in a trilogy. I want to keep playing my Saturday, my Saturday concerts on YouTube. Those are all my creative ambitions. And I also just love spending every moment I can with my kids, my wife. I love cooking for them. That's wonderful. And anyone who would like to listen to your music, read your books, where should we direct them to? Well, jiminfantino.com has information about both. There are links there to bigego.com, which is the band's website. And there are links from there to Bandcamp, which is jimsbigego.bandcamp.com. You can find everything there. You can find it on Spotify, Jim's Big Ego. And the book you can find either from jiminfantino.com or bigego.com or wakefulwanderer.com. And that is a post-apocalyptic cyber hippie travelogue. And I think it's I think it's a pretty good one, actually. <laughs> That's so great. I'm so happy that you are telling this about your book. That's amazing. <laughs> so good. So good. Thank you so much for the conversation. I enjoyed a lot and I loved um the learning you brought. I mean your learning, but also like hearing you talk about what you experienced in your life, what you saw as important steps in your journey and what stops people and how they can actually start moving, which you touched the courage. Um, mm. That was very powerful for me. So thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure, Isha. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and I hope it inspired you. I am definitely inspired by Jim. For me, he had a priority, his self-expression. He followed it and then he found new ways to bring benefit to other people. 
and that created for him a mix of different work, but he never gave up his own self-expression. As always, you can find the notes of this episode on the website of this podcast, uniquecareersuniquelives.com. uniquecareersuniquelives.com. Looking forward to talking to you in the next episode. Till then, take very good care of yourself.